Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Felicia Fro with me here today. I really appreciate your time here. And if you want to learn what Felicia is up to, head over to moneywithmission.com. And Felicia has a offer there for you. Go slash seven dash steps dash two dash building dash wealth. And to make it all simple for everybody, I'm going to make sure that's clickable in the show notes. But really appreciate your time here, Felicia. Thank you so much. And I know most people are doing something else when they're listening to a podcast. Please don't stop. Don't look down to write that down while you're driving or feeding your baby or whatever you're doing. Just It'll be there for you when you're ready for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Felicia, you got an interesting background. And I want to start there first, is that you're a urologist. That's right. And yes. you got into real estate investing. Can I ask, being a doctor... You have probably had a very strong income. If would that be fair to say? That's what fair, caused very you fair to go say. into real estate investing. There's a short story and a long story. I'll give you the medium story. Okay. My my family is professionals, and everybody went to school, and we're that first. Well, my father's generation actually had gone. We're educated too, but it was always about go to school have a great education, go as high in school as you possibly can, get that job, duh. medicine, what higher aspirations are there? That's where I ended up, medical school, residency, all those things. About five years, a little less than five years into my practice, I just had this feeling that this is not going to be the last thing you're ever going to do, which was frank. I didn't really do anything with it. It was just like, huh, I wonder what that is. And we were talking earlier about me living in St. Paul. We were living in St. Paul, Minnesota at that time. And because of the not so warm winters in St. Paul, we moved from there to Kansas City. And I was working with some other women physicians. We actually did my first real estate purchase with a, we bought a building to do our practice in. At the time, I didn't really think about that as real estate investing at all. It didn't cross my mind. We're buying a building. We're going to do work here. A friend who also was a part of that situation, not a physician, but a business owner, suggested I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of those books that it seems like most real estate investors have read. But it really just turned the lights on as far as building assets and how assets and liabilities and how rich people or people with means and people without means view assets. So took some more time and ultimately... We started buying with a friend of mine help, helping me, giving, taking my first purchase, made it no risk at all. She said to me, if you don't buy this house, I'm going to buy it. And she knew I'm a very competitive person. So I was like, you're not taking this for me. And she said, if you buy it, you can use our team to rehab it. If you rehab it and rent it and you're not getting, you're losing money, I'm going to buy it from you. So that took all of the risk out of that thing for us. We did it. We started. And in about 18 months, we had I'm sorry, in about two years, we had 18 properties. Now, the question was, why? And it was a, because of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and me realizing that I, and again, that whisper that said, this is the last thing you're going to do, that we started working to have 
another stream of income. That's really how it started. We just wanted another stream of income for ourselves. Wasn't it? I never dreamed at that point that I would be where I am today. So things just evolved. And the 18 properties, actually, that was right before 2008 that we got all of that. And I think I heard on your show previously where real estate investors, the, most of us who've been doing it for a long time have gone really high and then gone really low. And 2009, 2010 was a really low point for us because we had to make a decision to keep digging a hole financially or walk away from a bunch of stuff, which we did. And it was about us not knowing what we needed to know to keep all of those things afloat. It's interesting that as many people that have been on the show, it seems like almost everybody that has been in some sort of ups and downs like that, like even though that we go through this and we might get mentors and we might get training, we always seem to find our way into having to learn these lessons the hard way. Yeah. I didn't get mentors and that education. Hey, student, what do I need that? I just need this book. I'm going to be okay. And it was after that I realized I needed that. People who had been on the street and had the education, not just book learning, to know the ins and outs of a whole lot of things. So it was after that, and I realized after our downfall, and I realized that this was an education problem for me, a mind problem. I needed smarter people about this thing. I can do medicine. I can do urology. I can do kidney surgery, prostate surgery. I can do all of those things. But putting together that pro forma, putting together, knowing what's the right property, making sure you have the right team, that was something that I had to learn and somebody had to teach me, people who had already done it. So that's how I got into all of those things. And then that led me into syndication, which led me into I'm sorry, a residential assisted living, which led me into food access. It's just, it, it seems like, how did you end up here? And then I have to look back and say, oh, this is how that all happened. With that experience, is that one of the reasons why you've decided to start a community, online community yourself to try to help some other individuals? Yeah. So one of the things that my, so my driver is that women should be able to lead the lives they want. They shouldn't have to stay in situations they don't want to be in necessarily, whether it be a relationship, a job, a city, whatever it is, I want us to have options for what we do. My mom, and this is my deep down why, my mother was in a relationship that was very dangerous for her and did not leave for what I perceive were financial reasons. She didn't feel like she could take us and take care of us. She didn't feel like she could leave on her own and take care of herself. And she was there for a long time, ultimately did establish the ability to go. Actually, she just decided it was not worth her life to stay there, got out. And it, it, that thing, which I didn't even realize until not too long ago, that was what was my deep down driver to work with women and professional women, because my mom was not a an, and uneducated. She worked. She had everything. Everything on the outside looked great. So yes, bottom line, when we need help, mentors, and many of us women, professional women, physicians, surgeons, lawyers, accountants are so busy with our head down doing our work. We realize we need something else and don't have the time to go out like I've done and vet so many different general partners, vet deals, understand what's going on there. So now we have a place where you can connect with those things. Like I'm ready to invest off Wall Street. 
help me connect with the right people so that I'm, I don't go through what Felicia went through with nearly having to declare bankruptcy and a credit score of 500 and some real bad marriage, just every, it was just ugliness all the way around. So I would love to help people avoid that. So after that downfall, when it came to that, that first go around, now you're into syndication and you found your way into assisted living centers. Is that something, is that, can you explain that path? Because that's a niche within real estate investing that I've had another person or two on the podcast that talked about senior assisted living, but it's always an interesting way to find their way to those type of investments. A hundred percent. And everything that I've gotten into has been not expected. It wasn't what I was looking for. It was being in the right place at the right time to find what I needed. So I started like most other syndicators with multifamily. And you're doing looking at apartments, looking at hotels, looking at resort properties, and raising funds for those. And those were fine; they're great, and it was a great learning experience. It just wasn't feeding what the thing in me that needed to be fed. And through those things, I met a guy, Gene Garino, who was teaching how to own real estate and turn it into a rather a smallish community for elderly, a residential assisted living home. And you could do it for memory care. You could do it for straight assisted living. But rather than having the 120, 130, 300 bed communities, a smaller place, we have a 12 bed residential assisted living home. And it's a community. It's a place where the families can have a peace of mind that they have not one person taking care of 15 elderly, but one person helping take care of three or four elderly. So that it's a more direct impact to me on that family, on those elderly people, because now they have other elderly people that they're around. It's not at home with their son, daughter, who is now in this place of being the mother or father for their parent with dementia. Now they can have their parent in this home, not a nursing home, because I know when I think about a home, I think about you walk in there and it smells like urine. No, this is a house. You walk into a living room and each pe- person had their own room and own bathroom and people there to, to provide their, da- their activities of daily living, their food, their medication, their whatever they needed. They didn't have to worry about that. Plus, they had other elderly to be around, which has been shown to improve quality of life for those po- folks. And then it's easier for family to come in and those then family has increased peace of mind. So we hit two things at once. It is a very difficult business. It's very hard. We've now come to where we own the real estate and are providing that property for another operator. So still feeling a good impact, um, just doing it a little bit differently. So is that the core aspect of your business now is the <laughs> is these it's, communities? It's actually not the core aspect. Now the core aspect. So after that, I got involved with a group helping to bring food to a food desert area in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So North Tulsa is a population of about 33, 34, 35,000 people. And there was not a full service grocery store. There were dollar generals, dollar stores, quick trips or convenience stores there, but not a full service grocery store that could provide full service groceries, including fresh produce. So our original idea was to come in and put a grocery store and we wanted to build an indoor controlled farm so we could have produce locally produced 
for that grocery store. And it was going to be our franchise model. We ultimately got the grocery store built. I'm a part of several different, I'm going to say communities, but part of several different organizations there in North Tulsa that help provide fresh food for people. And one of them is called Fresh RX. And what we learned is that diabetics, we take uncontrolled diabetics and provide them. So this was a nonprofit. We provided them with healthy food and taught them how to cook it, talk through eating it. And we used, we started out with, I think, 50 people. And over the year, their A1Cs, which is a measure of how well your diabetes is controlled, out of control is above eight. In control is, we like them at six, seven. But people went from 14 A1Cs down to 10, 11 in a year with medication, with, I'm sorry, medication, yes, but they weren't, they didn't have to, they were able to decrease their medication because they were eating better. So along, this whole thing is just proving that what we already knew, honestly, is that food is medicine and that healthy food can help prevent so many of the things that we deal with in our medical community. So I didn't say that North Tulsa, I'm sorry, that Tulsa had done a resilience paper that showed that the people of North Tulsa lived 11 years less than the people of the rest of Tulsa. And while that is definitely multifactorial, one of the main reasons has to be, in my mind, lack of access to good food. That grocery store is there. That grocery store is doing fairly well. It has not been an easy, it seems like I don't take on anything easy. I started out as one of the first 100 female urologists in the country and nothing I've done or gone after has been so easy since then, but it's the things that drive me. It's the things that make, to me, will make the biggest difference in the most lives. And those are the things I want to tackle and get done. Does that make sense? So yeah, with the grocery stores and then indoor controlled farming and working with farmers, so land and God, words are just escaping me right now. Resil- it's not resilient. It's a regenerative farming, making the soil better while providing the food so that the food has more nutritious value, bringing fresh produce to the Midwest, where usually we're getting most of our tomatoes, strawberries, all those kinds of things from the coast. And there's a big carbon footprint for that. And then there's all the water issues going on with everything. So if we can do that more locally, it decreases all those things. And now we have a more nutritious food because it doesn't have to be picked early. I'm sorry. I get on a soapbox about food. That's okay. So with all of that, you said you always happen to find these opportunities as they're presented to you. How did this one I, I, the guy, a guy called me and asked me if I wanted to help them and help them by raising funds for this project. And he had heard of me or we had met at a meeting that I went to on a regular basis. So a conference that I'd gone to on a regular basis. And this is the way most things happen for me. And for many of the people that I work with is you have, you go out, you go and seek relationships and it's, you don't find them as well on zoom. It was back before COVID when you you met face-to-face and had a drink and had dinner and you just over time built relationships with a lot of people. And that's how I've come to be in the position that I feel I'm in to be able to help these women who want to invest but don't have the time to do the things I've done over the past 15 years to get here. Now I can introduce them to projects and sponsors and people that I know are good and safe and will protect their money, my folks' money, as well as their own, and make sure they get the returns as best they can. Y'all know all investing involves risk. When you have people who are watching out for you, they will do everything they can to make sure you at least get your capital back. 
Just to remind everybody, you can learn more at moneywithmission.com. And if you found any value in this so far, can you do us a quick favor and share it with another investor friend? It would really mean the world to me here. So Felicia, is it sounds like the way you were talking about the different stages of your investing, you went from single family homes, you went to syndicating senior or assisted living centers. And now you're ta- you were talking about the, I'm not sure what to call this, uh, farming or, or localizing uh, grocery stores, that type mm-hmm. of work. You could tell that, and maybe I'm misreading this, but that last story and the, the situation you're currently in, you, there's a passion there that didn't seem to come out regarding the previous two endeavors. Right. Would that uh, be you, fair to say? Oh, you are 100% correct. This is pushing me. It really is. And I, and it, there's times I thought, why the heck did I have to do medicine to get here? And now I like, you had to do medicine to get here because all the things I learned in medicine, which just to back up a little bit, we don't learn a lot about nutrition, but it's always been in me. this thing that I just knew that food had something to do with all of the things that are going on. And I'm this, I'm older than I hope I look guys. So there now nutrition has become more of a thing and you got to eat better, even though it still doesn't, you still have to have money to me to eat well. You Organic food is not inexpensive. Supplements are not inexpensive. If you want, I just, there's so many things I could talk about how you go to some grocery stores and you have cherries in the middle of winter and cherries don't grow anywhere close to the middle of winter. Just eating food in season and all these different things about it that will help affect the nutrient value of the food. People are fat, not necessarily because they're fat because they eat a lot and they eat a lot because they're not getting the nutrition that they need. So they're working, their bodies are telling them you need to eat more because I don't have what I need. And so they're eating things that are available. They're eating things that are cheap to eat. They're eating things that are convenient and it's not the healthy stuff. So it's really a passion for me to work, to help people eat better, to be healthier and live better, longer lives, because that's how we make get the chance to make our contributions on this earth and why we're here. Well, you're not the first person to, uh, that I've heard, and I listen to a lot of audiobooks. So <laughs> be forewarned. I think I, I heard an audiobook not too long ago where, where it was actually said that we're eating ourselves or, or starving ourselves to o- obesity mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways because yes. of exactly what you said. A, a great I can't help but notice when you go out into a grocery store, a majority of the grocery store is processed food in boxes to preserve shelf life. And the stuff that's actually healthy and the last thing you can get to is on the periphery, on the edges, or they make you walk through all of this boxed food to get to it. It's all part of the marketing aspect of it. It it was very much. And me, with that grocery store, you you learned so much about marketing just stuff that drove me nuts you can you walk in the grocery store and right here you want to have this thing that everybody wants but it's sugar but yeah everybody wants it but you want it there so they can just grab it and put it so to me just like medicine sometimes our grocery stores are set up it profits everybody's got to make a profit 100 percent. but i think we have to figure out a way that we can help people be healthy and make a profit unlike just like our sick system that we have for health, air quote health, hospitals can't make profits if people are, are healthy, right? So 
as much, I'm going to get on this soapbox that I probably don't need to get on right now, but there are so many things in our society right now that are not set up to help us be healthy. So one of my things, I'm working with a lot of people working to collaborate with a lot of people is this is gigantic. This is bigger than Felicia can fix herself. We need lots of people with lots of great ideas to help make this, this overhaul of our system. So first of all, you don't have to feel the need to hold back. If you feel, if you want to be on a soapbox with what you've been saying so far, I'll be back there cheering you on. So don't feel like you, you're going to, you're going to step on anybody's toes. Got it. Can I ask, we've talked about your past. What, what is your future here now? What are you hoping this becomes? Oh man, that's, I want to, I am looking for a movement. I'm working with another, with a group. The name of their company is Philanthro Investors. And the thing is to have a movement where people are investing their capital, their time into projects, into companies, and not just the ESG, that kind of stuff, but to companies that are that you can look at and you can know that, that what they are doing is going to make a difference. Part of the thing, one of the things I've got on my site you'll find is about um, clean water and helping companies clean their own water because our infrastructure, our water infrastructure in this country is, I can't even remember how many dollars it's going to take to bring it up to standard, up to what it should be. And it's not millions, it's billions of dollars to get it to a, a good standard. It's Flint, Michigan is the beginning. Some of these other places, Mississippi, another place where we just had a water problem. Those are just the beginning things. So getting clean water, this is the United States of America, right? We should have clean water. And so that's another, there's just those kinds of things and getting this movement where people are actually in just, it is the thing you invest and it's not charity. You want to make money. I'm not talking about charity here, guys. It's for profit and it's for impact. And those two things can and 100% should, in my mind, go together. Just to remind everybody, head over to Felicia's website, moneywithmission.com. You have a ton of resources over there that everybody needs to check out, including your podcast. But mm-hmm. it's really nice to see you being you having so many resources because if you click if you go out to the top of the page, there's a resource drop down, and I don't know, there's going to be a dozen free reports and information here for people. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there, just different things that you that are out there to invest in that you don't. It's just for ideas, just for oh, who knew I could invest in water? Who knew I could invest in carbon capture? Who knew I could invest in and have money coming back to my account and making this big difference in the world? You can make a difference very easily. So that's what those are there for. What I think is really interesting in the way you're handling some of this is that every time I've seen somebody try to do any kind of involvement, whether it's the farming and the local agriculture or making a difference like this, it's always been presented in a way to heartstrings trying to get you motivated through emotion. And I've always thought that if this actually is anything like this is going to actually take off is if somebody can see some sort of profits from it. Yeah. That's what, and that's a really different take. And I, I don't think we should be embarrassed by that at all. I, you, we have to have our foundation. None of us can do anything. None of us can get anywhere if we are, if our foundation, if our needs are not met. And I'm not talking about just food and shelter. I want 
fancy things. I'm not shy about it. I like my stuff. And I like my stuff and I like to make a difference. Those two things are not mutually exclusive and I do them together. And you want to move back to Hawaii. I definitely want to move back to Hawaii and a look at the ocean on a regular basis. <laughs> Felicia, this is Felicia, this was a great conversation. It's really interesting to talk to somebody who's so passionate about the particular investment strategies that they're pursuing. In the time we have left, I do have some rapid fire questions, but I might twist a couple of them on you <laughs> just to give you a heads up if you're ready for it. I'm ready. Go. Okay. Turn my brain on. So do you have, with the experience you've had now between all of these different investment strategies, is there a real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? Real estate investing myth? The myth that was busted for me is that you have to start with single family houses or, and then I'm going to even take it bigger, is that you have to invest in something that somebody lives in. You do have to invest in something that people need, whether they work in it, pick food out of it, buy things there. Yes, but it does not have to be someplace people live. Sure. And, yeah, that that's becoming the case. I just recently had somebody who does farmland. Uh-huh. And it wasn't just flipping land. He invests, buys farmland and rents it or to leases the, it out to, to, to the local areas. That's, yep. And you help them even do it after five years of doing this. Every once in a while, you run into somebody who's doing something different. It's, it, it's great. Outside of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is there a different book you'd recommend everybody checking out? Or what are you reading right now? You know what? My, my problem is I'm usually reading two or three books at a time. And I actually this year decided I'm going to read more fiction. So fiction's been on my by reading, I mean, listen to Audible. But the books that I have found that spoke to me a lot is one of them is on negotiation called Never Split the Difference with Chris Voss. That book to me is. Love that book. He, it's not even a hard read. It's a very mm -hmm. easy read. And it talks about negotiation. And while you may think you don't negotiate, you negotiate every day, whether you're a stay at home mom, stay at home dad. Or whatever work you do, you negotiate in some way every day. And to do it intentionally and with consciousness, the way that book teaches you, is amazing. The other one that I really is Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. And that one talks about, it's a kick in the pants for you if you've been sitting around waiting for your thing to come to you and to start doing it. It talks about you just got to put your butt in the seat and get it done. So he says, yeah, a I actually just bought that book. Time. I haven't Did read you? it yet, though. Yeah, it, that's interesting coincidence. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. What is the biggest real estate investing or business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? The biggest mistake was we're going to talk about our 2000, 2007 to 2000, like 2006. I don't even remember what years it was, but on that run was our mistake and our my biggest lesson, which is what all the mistakes and failures are when you really look at them. And the lesson I learned about that specifically for real estate was don't be undercapitalized. And for myself is that you can overcome almost anything. We were, it was bad, ugly. And I can tell anybody who wants to hear the stories can, I will tell them to you. And I don't even cry about it anymore because I just learned so much to, that I can overcome. And when you do something really hard that you don't know you can get through and you walk, you stand up and you lift your head up and you're now back on top of things and you really can see, you know, you can do anything. 
If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't be afraid. Start. If you feel that you should do something, go do it. And just, it's, don't be afraid. Things are going to be just fine. And that's actually what I tell my daughters now who are at the age I wish somebody would have told me that. It's <laughs> like, and that's do they listen not going to gonna matter. They don't believe it yet. But I'm just like, honey, that's not going to matter. Don't worry about it. It's not going to matter. And that's another huge thing. How much time do we spend worrying about stuff that now you look at it and go, what was that about? Yeah. I've always found that interesting, really. And, and I, it's something that I continue to fall in that trap. Me too. You, you constantly worry over something that in the end, when you think about it, you really didn't have a ton of control over. And it, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, whether you worry about it or not. Or not. And the other thing I go, is in seven days, it's going to make any difference? Or in a month, is this going to matter? Will you even remember this one month from now? And like, probably not. So what are you spending all this time in this mess for? Let's go. Get out of this. Right. This is the only one I'm going to time you on. You got 60 seconds to give everybody one piece of advice that they can implement in their business right now. What would it be? If in your business, you are doing it alone, you are not being efficient. Find the things that you love to do that you are good at. The two, two of them, you love it and you're good at it. And that is where you should be. That is your sweet spot. Start figuring out how you can get somebody else to do the rest of that stuff and your business will soar. That's not my advice. I can't remember the book I read that from, but that is, that's the thing. You've got to do what you are good at and what you love so that you can enjoy doing it and get somebody else to do all the rest of it. Is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? No, I think we covered. No, I think we got it. The only, the biggest thing is for me is community and team and people you can trust and going on this journey and having a good time. That's key. Key is enjoying what you're doing. So if you're going to start investing, but you're scared, get with some people who can hold your hand through the whole thing and you can have some fun and laugh with them and vent with them and have the whole thing and just move forward. Somebody who can remind you that seven days from now, this isn't going to be a big deal and you can go. I really appreciate it. Again, it is moneywithmission.com. Take a look at the resources there, especially the seven steps to building wealth. Really appreciate your time. I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. It was fun, Jack. Thank you so much. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.